Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Well, welcome everybody to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, coming to you live from somewhere in Alaska. It is a little bit of a rainy and dreary day, but we um, hope to have a good one here on the Kenai Peninsula Borough. We had a bit of a doozy last night. If you live on the Kenai Peninsula Borough, from anywhere from Seward to Kenai to Homer, you'll have noticed that last night the assembly uh, passed a laydown, which means that the uh, it was presented to the uh, clerk last minute. They presented a laydown to appoint former Mayor Mike Navarre as the interim mayor with pretty much almost mm -hmm. zero public input. They allowed for a little public input at the beginning, but if you were in the meeting, you would have had no idea what was going on, that they were about to appoint an interim mayor. And uh, it's very disheartening. I passed 7 0 with zero uh, public input. Nobody from the public weighed in on if this, if they thought this was appropriate, if they thought that Mike Navarre um, was a good fit. Obviously, Mike Navarre has got a resume, you know, super, super, super long, but the process for appointing him was um, not ideal. And I think the Kenai Peninsula Borough Assembly is going to see a ridiculous amount of pushback here in the next couple weeks. Might cost a few of them an election. And uh, next time I would just say, err on the side of public input. Um, this would have not have flown. Uh, they would have not have done this had a conservative person's name been brought to the table. But since it was Mike Navarre's, they let it slide. So it was unfortunate has nothing against Mike Navarre. It was every, uh, most people are going to be very upset about this because zero public process. Um, but without further ado, we have a very exciting guest. <laughs> we have Kelly Chewbacca, who's running for U.S. Senate against Lisa Murkowski. And she's been endorsed by President Donald Trump. They had a huge rally up here in Anchorage, I don't know, a couple months back. My timelines are all blur. But it was probably the biggest president, pre one of the biggest events ever in Alaska. I was there and um, Kelly got a th tremendous thunderous applause. Some say some of the loudest applause in the room outside of uh, President Donald Trump's speech. So without further ado, uh, welcome Kelly to the Must Read Alaska show. <laughs> it's great to be with you, John, and thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited that you're on. And, you know, I think that uh, people want to hear how the, how the, how is the campaign going? What's it like on the campaign trail? What's kind of some of the latest, um, you know, scuttlebutt that you're hearing in terms of what people, the everyday Alaskan, really care about when it comes to their elected uh, U.S. Senator. The campaign trail is going really great. I just spent nearly every day out at the Alaska State Fair. There's a ton of traffic and our booth had regular amounts of people. Um, we ran out of almost everything, which was really exciting. That's a good metric. And the thing that we're hearing most is a lot of concern about the ranked choice voting system, especially with the turnout of the special election and the result of what happened. And so people are wondering, you know, what do we do? How do we approach November? I think everyone's really concerned about the videos they saw released from Project Veritas, those undercover videos showing that Senator Murkowski colluded with her campaign staff and used dark money to deceive Alaskans 
running the Ballot Measure 2 initiative, making us think that we are getting rid of dark money in Alaska. That's not what happened. Instead, we ushered in ranked choice voting and all the videos show it was an effort to try and help Murkowski keep her Senate seat. And in fact, most of her campaign is largely funded all by dark money. So everyone's a little bit concerned and disturbed about that and the effort to distort and mess with our election system just to favor an incumbent. But what we were able to tell them is the thing isn't rigged in Murkowski's favor. In fact, there was a poll released just last week, right after the primary, showing that in this November election right now, I'm tied 50-50 with Lisa Murkowski. It's a neck-to-neck -neck race right now. And our job in the next two months is to pull ahead and make it a decisive victory. So giving people hope that there is something we can do and we are not disempowered. It's just a math game. And our job right now is to get as many people out knocking doors as possible. If you're interested in helping, please sign up online, kellyforak.com under the volunteer tab. And any donations that you can provide will help make the difference between us winning and losing the race. That's the status of the race right now. <laughs> nice. Well, I like it. Thanks for the update. So let's kind of talk a little bit about um, in the next 20 minutes or so, just kind of your thoughts and stances on some things, you know, some important issues for the everyday Alaskan. So, you know, oftentimes uh, the conservatives out there, um, they think government's too big. They think it's bloated. You spent your, you know, a big portion of your career combating, uh, you know, waste and fraud in the government. So my question to you, this is Kelly, where do you stand on growing government uh the the left has a very clear stance on this that they are either in favor or are, are unopposed to growing government what is your stance on it well i think we all know when government grows freedom shrinks and when government shrinks freedom grows and largely we feel that freedom in our pocketbook because government doesn't make money it just takes money and then uses that for government programs i think we can sum up the conservative approach to government as um, government-empowered solutions don't much solve many things. Instead, we believe in individual empowerment and community empowerment as a solution to most things. And limited government has a role in solving and helping society, like in our military or in our treasury, which are things spelled out in our constitution. But otherwise, we really, really prefer um, power to the states and to the people and community empowerment to solve problems. This is how we would sum up in Alaska self-determination or self-sufficiency, self-reliancy, living off our land. It's why there's a little bit of a libertarian streak in all of us. And I think what we're seeing right now under the Biden administration is what happens when government grows. And as you pointed out, John, I've spent my career dedicated to making government work for the people, doing audits and investigations, making sure we return billions of dollars to taxpayers. That's one of the joys of my heart and helping with several teams across many different agencies. I did federal oversight of 20 different agencies and then came home and got to run the 14 agencies of our state, making sure things run more efficiently and effectively for the people of America. It's like being a bureaucracy whisperer. It's not easy to tame government, but it can be done. Good government is not an oxymoron, but we see the effects of bad government right now with Biden administration and some of the policies that have happened. You got to remember, this inflation has been directly caused by out of control spending from Congress. Namely, what we trace it back to is this so 
so-called infrastructure bill that was passed last year, $1.2 trillion that they paid for by printing money. So remember in our story, Alaska hasn't had dedicated money given to us in earmarks for over a decade. And that's even though we have a senior position in the Appropriations Committee. And so instead, what we have to do to get money is apply for it and compete for it in the federal executive branch. We have to go to executive branch agencies to get our money. And that's true of this infrastructure bill too. We have to apply and compete for any of the money. But leaders I talk to from Ukiavik to the Aleutians, they can't find any of the money. And so as Senator Sullivan has said, part of the reason is because the Biden administration has set the regulation hurdles so high, they're designed to kill all infrastructure. And another part of the reason is in this $1.2 trillion bill, just a small percentage of it was actually designed to address infrastructure. On top of that, while Alaska is 18% of the land mass of the United States, less than half of 1% of the money set aside for infrastructure was, quote, made available to Alaska. That means it was given over to the executive branch for us to try and go find it and apply for it and compete for it. So we left 17.5% of the potential funds that we should have gotten by proportion on the cutting room floor, if you would. And then the Department of Transportation under the Biden administration has said that they won't authorize any new roads or any new bridges from the money of the infrastructure bill. Well, the only way we're going to get to resources, especially in rural Alaska, is with new roads and new bridges and new railroads. And none of that's gonna be funded from the less than half of the 1% that Alaska might get if we can get over the regulation hurdles and we can find the money in the executive branch. So all of that to say the solution for these kind of problems that I would propose is I want to add a grant writer to the Senate staff so that when there's an appropriation bill like this, the Alaskans in our communities can actually find the money and apply for it. But the other part of it, John, is it is absolute nonsense to use a bait and switch like this, which is how Senator Sullivan's been describing it, to push through the Biden climate change agenda and then mislead Alaskans to think that we're actually getting a good deal because we're not. What we're doing is every Alaskan family is going to have to pay 20, more than $2,100 for this bill. And we're now getting hit with this, what, eight to 9% inflation on top of it. That's the cost of the infrastructure bill. If we can find the less than half of 1% of it that's been set aside for us to maybe build potholes because we're not getting new roads or bridges from it. That's my take on growing government and how when government grows, freedom shrinks and why we need to pull back on these excessive spending bills. I like that. So let's talk about energy for a second. I think if sure. somebody that produces, you know, a company that produces energy here in America, it's probably some of the cleanest energy when you compare it to things that happen in other kind of third world countries where oil companies step in and have no regulations. We got FERC, we got the Army Corps of Engineers, we got the EPA. We got to jump through a million hoops to get something done here. It seems like projects like the Pebble Mine and the AKLNG project literally have been on the shelf and sometimes ready to go, sometimes not, sometimes in the process for 20 or 30 years. What, where do you stand with energy production specifically as it relates to Alaska? Should we, uh, should we kind of just assume the role of let's wait and see what FERC says, we've got to wait another 10 years or should we be a little more aggressive? 
So energy production, we could talk about policy, but really it's a personal story for me. This is why I got into the race. My parents were homeless in Alaska before I was born. That wasn't the plan, but sometimes life doesn't go the way you plan. And it was a job up at Prudhoe Bay that my mom was able to get that enabled them to get into a mobile home and then into their little starter home out in Wasilla. And then they had a little starter Kelly and our life took off. And I'll never forget watching them struggle to pay the rent and pay the mortgage eventually and put food on the table. And these are the kind of jobs that build Alaskan dreams and make it so that parents can put food on the table and then send their little kid to UAA if they want, which is what happened in our story. And when I saw Senator, Senator Murkowski make the tie-breaking vote in committee, to advance the nomination of Deb Holland, knowing that she was going to champion Biden's energy annihilating agenda, which she has, and shut down all these energy projects in Alaska. I took it personally. Those are our jobs. Those are our ability to pay the rent and put food on the table. And that's where I stand on energy. Um, we are now seeing across the United States people not being able to pay for both gas and groceries at the same time. We are seeing a national security vulnerability as we are no longer energy independent, but are now vulnerable to foreign adversaries as we rely on them for energy because of decisions Deb Holland has made. And those are all traced right back to Senator Murkowski, who stacked the Department of Interior against us. She also handpicked Holland's deputy, and she was the tie-breaking vote for Holland's general counsel. It's not just one vote, it's the entire department and all the policymakers. And so where do we stand on energy as a state? Um, these, this isn't just our economy, it's not just our workers, it's our families, it's our state budget, it's our environment, as you've said. When we are able to produce clean and green energy and have the funds for it, we reinvested into conservation. If you care about any of these things, you care about producing energy in Alaska. So what's the solution? Here's our issue. First, you identified the permitting issue. We absolutely have to get what I call pure permitting, predictable, understandable, reliable, and equitable. And the way to do that is to hold our federal agencies to what we have in statute. We have deadlines in statute, like a two-year deadline, and now their average is at four and a half years. We have to ask why don't we have some hearings before, say, the Energy Committee asking these agencies to be held accountable? Why aren't their budgets being held accountable and cut before the Appropriations Committee? We have a senior position on both. When I become senator, I will use that power in the Senate to hold agencies accountable. That's what the Senate is designed to do. And this, of course, is my background, holding federal agencies accountable. We also have tools in the executive branch that we can use to hold these agencies accountable. Those are the offices that I come from. It's time to look at some audits and some investigations about abuse of authority, overuse of exemptions, where the exemptions are now the rules to blow through these permitting rules, and maybe stop giving exemptions, curtail those authorities so that they're held strictly to scope and timeline reviews, timeline limitations, so that our companies have some some predictability in the process. I also think it would be good for Congress to exempt from NEPA reviews lawsuits against them. A NEPA review can just be a review and we don't have to go to a lawsuit. I also think it would be good in Congress, I would pursue limiting what we would think of as like double jeopardy for our companies. If you get a final review of decision, final decision from a 
the federal permitting process, then it should be final. And if there's a lawsuit against it and you survive that lawsuit, then it's final. And we're not going back to the drawing board two, three, four times for a federal agency to layer on more and more requirements for our companies to jump through in order to get a final decision so that they can move forward with their project. I think these are some basic things that we can pursue from the Senate office in order to get our companies, our energy companies, the predictability they need so that we look less like Venezuela and more like what we should look like as the United States of America. The federal government should not be inserting risk into the business process and the business climate when it comes to energy development in Alaska. I love it. I think um, it's a breath of fresh air. You know, we've we've uh, seen and heard uh, folks talk about projects for years and years and years. Charlie Pierce, uh, who's still currently the mayor of the Kenai Peninsula Borough until the end of the month, and then he's going to focus on running for governor. He's got story after story of, you know, projects coming coming and going. And I think we miss out on a lot of opportunity here in Alaska. Um, and I'm hopeful that when you're the senator that you'll help those opportunities get here a little quicker with a little less red tape. So um, my next question to this is, Kelly, you know, um, you've had a very successful career so far, and, I, and hopefully you're just in the middle of it or even on the front end of it. And, um, you know, there's people out there listening that are contemplating, should I run for school board? Should I run for the assembly? Should I run for, you know, a service area board? What's some advice to you as they think about that? You you know, you've thrown your name in the hat and are running for a very big office, but there's still folks out there that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that look at you as inspiration, you know, as a conservative, uh, successful person. And so what what's your <laughs> advice to them as they're thinking about, crap, should I run for my, you know, uh, school board office or my service board office? So my advice to everyone is it is time for Alaskans with courage and common sense to rise together and lead our state forward. Imagine how different Alaska would be if people who cared about our community stepped in and said, you know what, it's worth the cost. I take a lot of inspiration from our military service members. It was my dad who inspired me to say, you know what, I'm going to do this. I think that we forget sometimes that we belong to something bigger than ourselves. And our military service members absolutely represent that every day. Um, we belong to a country that we owe a great deal of debt to and to whom much is given, much is expected. I really believe that. And we've been given a lot by our military service members. Our country is worth fighting for. It's worth serving for. It's worth loving for. And personally for me, John, when you think about my story, I owe a hell of a lot to Alaskans. I owe a lot to our great state. And that was the talk that we had with our five kids when we sat down and we thought about how hard this is gonna be, all the mean things people would say, how many people would recognize you and not like you. You know, it's nice and comfortable to live a life of anonymity, but I haven't been called to a life of comfort and I haven't been given all that I've been given by people who lived a life of comfort. And when you realize that, all this is is simply paying it forward. People sacrificed a lot that my family would no longer be homeless in Russian Jack Spring Park. I mean, imagine what our story could have been. And they've stayed relatively anonymous. I know their names, but most of Alaska doesn't know the names of the families at the mobile home park or my dad's union shop workers or the people at the oil field with my mom who are still friends of ours today. 
but the fact is they changed our life. And I'm simply saying thank you. And my dad served in Vietnam and he had a lot of buddies around him who he owes his life to today. And we're simply saying thank you. And isn't it true that all of us can look around and go, you know what? I didn't get here on my own and I owe a lot to some other people. And if people with courage and common sense just said, I, I'm part of something bigger than myself and I want to serve my community and we say thank you, I think that government service, I think our communities, I think our schools, I think our cities, I think our country would be a different place. And I'll share this personal story because it was very eye-opening for me. When we hired our video crew to come do my launch video for the campaign, I hired the best because I wanted Alaska to know you can expect the best from me. So this crew came up and they've done a lot of the campaign videos for the people who now currently sit in Senate in the Congress. And they filmed me for a day and they budgeted like four days. And they said, you're not like the other politicians we know. And I said, what do you mean? I don't hang out with politicians. This is my first time doing anything politics. And they said, well, normally we have to come up a day early to help the candidate figure out why they're running. And they said, they hire you and they don't know why they're running. And they said, well, they know why they're running. We just can't put that on video. They're running because it's their next step in their career and they're building their resume, but that doesn't <laughs> sell to voters. So we have to help them write their script. And when you see the camera shots from different angles, like this angle, and the next line's at this angle and this angle, it's because we're feeding them their next line because they don't know what they're supposed to say next. But we didn't have to do that with you because you just sat and talked to us, kind of like how I'm talking to you now, John, and you just told us with a lot of passion why you're running. They said, don't drop that authenticity because it's very rare in politics. And I think that that's instructive for us all because remember, I come from a background of investigating government insiders and I can tell you, they always go back to doing what they've always done, short of some major conversion moment. People just go back to who they always were. And after a nice flashy campaign, imagine what all those people in Capitol Hill are doing. And wouldn't it be great if Capitol Hill was just common sense again? And if people were just there because they authentically wanted to serve their communities. Same thing about our school boards and our assemblies, our mayors. So if you're out there thinking, gee, I just wish Alaska was a better place. You are exactly the person we need running. And it just takes a little bit of courage to think, what are they going to do? Throw some mud at you? They throw some mud at you. You can take some showers. All these people around you, they're not going to remember in a year all the nasty things people said. And all you got to do is brush it off because you don't have to let it stick to you either. That's awesome. Um, my last question to you this is, Kelly, you know, I know your parents, they're great people. So I I probably know the answer to this, but how how important is, has faith been as it comes to just making decisions on the campaign trail? Does, does faith play a big role in how you go about, you know, speaking at events and interacting with volunteers and, and you know, making asks with donors and stuff like that? Does it play a big role in, in who you are and how your campaign is, is ran? <laughs> So for me, it is just a real cornerstone of hope through this whole journey. I think one of the things that can be the most difficult for any candidate is not knowing how this story ends and wondering, is any of this even working and kind of dealing with that feeling of discouragement? But when you know that the story is already written by a God who loves you and who already has your days planned out and that all the story ends good, it doesn't really matter what the outcome is. This has all already been planned and written. Um, you can just have a lot of hope and encouragement and sort of move forward boldly. 
I like to remember what David said when he was faced with, you know, repeated always he was up against whether it started in the beginning with a lion and a bear or moved to a giant or moved to armies. Um, he always throughout the Psalms was just like, if God is for us, who can be against us? And just kind of that, that feeling of it doesn't really matter how much money is on the other side, how big the opposition is, who sides with them. It doesn't matter. Um, I'm really confident about the position and the stand that I have and that I can walk into any unknown situation and I've got total backup all the time. And that's where my hope comes from. And that's where the faith, the faith part is. Faith is the, is the evidence of believing when you don't know um, what the actual outcome is. It's just that confident assurance that everything is going to be fine. And I think that that confidence in and of itself is enough to just make you continue to move forward um, with that, that winning goal and, and literally bring about a win when there otherwise wouldn't be one. Remember in that story of David and Goliath, there was an entire army of trained warriors shaking in their tents and a teenager went out and said, I got this. And I really think that sometimes attitude can just make all the difference in the world. And, and it really can just be um, exactly what empowers the win. So before we go, tell folks one more time, uh, where can they find your campaign, Facebook, website, any big events coming up, uh, floor is yours. So we're at kelly4ak.com, K-E-L-L-Y-F-O-R-A-K.com. I'll invite you all to my big birthday party this Saturday at 6 p.m. Main event grill. It's at 1041 East 76th Street in Anchorage. If you happen to be in the Anchorage area, again, that's Saturday, September 10th at 6 p.m. Main event grill. If you're down in Ketchikan, I'll be at the Southeast Conference on Monday and Tuesday. And the, the candidate forum for the Senate is on Tuesday the 13th, and then I'll be on in Juneau next Friday and Saturday. So if you're down in Juneau, I'd love to see you there. I've got a lot of our old Department of Administration friends. I'd love to connect with you guys there if you happen to be in Juneau. Those are some big events coming up. Kelly4ak.com and on social media, kelly for alaska Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Kelly. I really appreciate it. And uh, we wish you nothing but success on the campaign trail. And we'll have you back on whenever, you know, maybe in a couple weeks or something like that to hear what's going on in the campaign trail. And for folks listening in, you might, you know, that just tuned in, you might want to go back and listen to the whole thing. Kelly is running for U.S. Senate against Lisa Murkowski. And Kelly is a force to be reckoned with. She spent uh, many years in D.C. combating bureaucrats. And uh, she's now here in Alaska wanting to stand up for our freedoms as a conservative candidate for U.S. Senate. So um, and then for folks uh, that also are just, you know, maybe tuned in halfway through. If you live on the Kenai Peninsula Borough, I'm going to say this one more time because it's very important. The Kenai Peninsula Borough Assembly last night in a laydown, which means that they presented the clerk last minute with something. They did a laydown to appoint Mike Navarro, the former mayor of the Kenai Peninsula Borough, as the new mayor, interim mayor, starting October 1st. Now, this is not a cut against Mike Navarro. This is a cut against the pu the public process. There was basically zero public process for this. It passed seven to two. Uh, the only folks that were um, standing up against this were Assemblymember Richard and Bill from Sterling and from uh, Kenai that said, we need a public process. Hold on. We can't just put this as a laydown and kind of shove it down people's throats. We got to have a public process here. But nobody wanted to listen to them on the assembly. Zero public testimony happened and they appointed a new interim mayor which i think is just 
not great. It's not wise. It's not a good thing to do. The assembly is going to see a ridiculous amount of pushback on this. Um, and uh, I just think that, man, they should have involved the public. Uh, uh, and you could have had the public, you know, weigh in, email, public testimony, you know, the list goes on. But anyways, I uh, wanted to give everybody an update there that for those who live on the Kenai Peninsula Borough. And uh, tomorrow we're going to be on the show, 9 o'clock. You don't want to miss out. I'm going to have a special guest that's running for uh, Kenai City Mayor, which is going to be exciting. So until then, for, <laughs> until then and uh, for next time, I'm John Quick signing off from somewhere in Alaska. Thank you so much, Kelly, for joining us. Thank you, John. Have a great day.